Hello, and welcome to Burbriety, the podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men, women, and the men and women who love them. I'm your host, Derek Bolin. Let's brober up. Hey everyone, welcome to episode eight of Brobriety, the podcast about sobriety, mental health, and wellness for men and women and the men and women who love them. I'm your host, Derek Bolin, and today we are joined by Kevin Bellack. Kevin, also known as the Sober Ginger, is an alcohol-free accountant and co-host on the 1000 Hours Dry and 1000 Hours Dry Stag pages on Instagram. He's 41 years old and he lives in Cleveland, Ohio with his wife and daughter, Kevin. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Derek. How's it going? Oh, you know, it's going. Living my best pandemic life. How about you? Yeah, same. I've uh, <laughs> been working from home for going on 11 months now. So uh, it's it's been interesting. Been a bit of an adjustment there. I guess yeah. that's given you a lot of time for one of the things uh, we're going to be discussing today, which is personal growth and development. But I would like to start off asking an intentionally open-ended question, but I would like to know, who are you? Who is Kevin Balak? Who is Kevin Balak? I am, I'll, I'll say, I don't know. If you would ask me this two years ago, before I you know, started down this alcohol-free kind of path, I, I would have said, I'm a, you know, a tax accountant at a real estate company, and you know, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and that's basically it. Like, now I feel like I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm comfortable not knowing the answer to that question, I guess, is uh, where I'm at these days. I love that. Like still on a journey of figuring it out and discovering who the real you is. And that is um, something that I feel is one of the big benefits that sobriety provides is it takes away that veil that we have and gives us the opportunity to, to do a lot of self-exploration. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was almost, it's required, right? Almost to when you start and that kind of just spills over into all these other areas of your life that, and that's where I'm at now, still, still figuring it all out and then don't really expect to uh, ever figure it out, but enjoying it so far. Awesome. Glad to hear it, man. So on this podcast, one of the goals we set out is to redefine or maybe just define what it means to be a man in uh, the year 2021. I initially reached out to you because of your involvement in the Thousand Hours Dry Stag, which is a sobriety Instagram account that specifically targets and speaks to men, speaks their language, which I love. I definitely think we need more of that. But I would love to know What's your earliest ideas or maybe your initial impression of what a man was and then who or what influenced that? Yeah, I mean, for me, I don't know if I have any, like, nothing really sticks out, like one thing or or, or several, you know, different periods of my life that, that stick out. Like, I was the youngest of four boys, so... And I'm I, I'm not I'm not the youngest of four boys. I'm like there was I was born and my brothers were like nine, seven, and six, and then there was me. Um, oh wow! And I I was the daughter that my mom never had. Uh, that's what they were. They didn't even have a boy's name picked out for me. They they were like, this is definitely a girl. We can't have a possibly have another boy. Um, so I I kind of uh, you know oops and then uh you know being the youngest of four boys by a lot like well i don't know relatively speaking i guess um you know that's kind of how i grew up I, I was always looking up to them and i was always uh i was always like little bell little bellac or uh oh you know that's scott steven mike's brother um I, I was never kevin or anything like that i was always the brother or i was always you know little um, cause those guys were, you know, much bigger than I was. And, um, you know, so everybody in my family played football and, uh, my dad played in college, all my brothers played in college. I played for two years in college. So, I mean, that kind of mentality and, and, you know, eventually I grew uh, a little bit and, and caught up, but I was always the little, the little guy. And, you know, I was, uh, I don't know, I was picked on as brothers do, but, uh, it was all in good fun. Uh, 
looking back on it, um, might not have thought about it at the time, but, uh, so I, I guess I kind of, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't say I was like force fed masculinity or anything like that, but it was just all those little things that, you, you know, brothers do and, and all that. And, uh, you know, you get hurt, you know, my dad would always bring up his old football coaches saying, you know, Oh, you know, you got an owie tape and aspirin to it. Um, you know, that kind of thing. It's just like, suck it up and you're yeah, fine. Walk, walk uh, it off, walk it off. Um, so, I mean, you know, that kind of, I, I thinking about it, that probably set me up for trying to prove myself early and often when I did grow up and you know, that, that kind of, mentality was always when I got into out of college and into the workforce, it was, I was always trying to, um, you know, I was always fine. I was always good. I was, you know, I was never, never anything wrong and never, you know, there was always something to prove. And I was always trying to do my best and, and, you know, working a ton of hours and all that. Um, you know, and it's just, you know, kind of just keep quiet and work hard. And that was kind of my, my mentality and what I thought a man was supposed to do, like, you know, take, take care of things, know things and kind of be the strong silent type or, um, definitely more emphasis maybe on the silent part. I don't know. I don't think you're alone there. That's probably something that's true of a lot of men. Definitely the ones that grew up in our era. I think it was, you don't complain. You don't talk about your pain. You don't talk about your suffering. You just like muscle through it. And that's what a man does. And I got to imagine hearing your story. I have, uh, I'm the oldest brother. And then I have a middle brother who's two years younger than me. And then I have a younger brother that is 10 years younger than me. And it, his, what you were saying definitely resonated with me as well. And I know he grew up, same thing. His, his whole identity was the little brother. And it, it kind of almost puts a chip on your shoulder, right? Like you feel extra yeah. motivated to prove yourself and establish yourself as your own person. Definitely. Um, yeah, it definitely does. And it definitely uh, kind of, uh, for me, I know it's always been like, I've never been uh, good enough. Um, but that's like a personal thing, like in my head, like I'm always trying to measure up to other people and, and trying to do things. So, you know, I'm huge, you know, imposter syndrome going on in my head. I've, I've reflected on that a lot lately in the past, like several months and kind of came to the conclusion that, that was a big issue for me. And, you know, as far as drinking and all that, but just trying to that perfectionism or, you know, just trying to, I, I was never like trying to beat. I was always a team player and all that. I was never trying to beat someone else or do anything, anything like that. But, uh, you know, I was always driven to do as much as I could to get a job done. Um, that's kind of always been my MO. Just hearing you talk about it. I'm like, yeah, definitely picking up on some comment there. I mean, same thing with me. I've never felt like enough in any area of my life. Like, absolutely not. And that definitely factored into my drinking as well. Cause it was like, for me, it was almost like alcohol was that missing piece of the me puzzle, right? Like I could drink and I could feel like I was a complete, even though it's a complete illusion and nothing about it was real. I could yeah. feel like the person that I always wanted to be was almost the, the feeling that it gave me. With that, we'll just like fully pivot. So you're coming up on two years sober. When's your sobriety date? Uh, last drink was April 28th, 2019. So at the end of April, we'll be two years, um, without alcohol. And I know, congrats on that, by the way, I know <laughs> you had, uh, you shared a story about how that was just day one for you, but you actually consider your, your sobriety date, the date that you actually started, I guess, reaching out for, for help, for help. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just posted something on that recently. Uh, January 22nd is, is my day as I like to refer to it. Cause that was the day that I, um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I basically got to the end of my rope and I said, uh, enough was enough. And, uh, you know, it took me a long time to get there. Um, January 22nd was the date that I, uh, I was downstairs in my living room and the day before I picked up a, it was a, on a Monday, I picked up a bottle of whiskey, normal, just picking up provisions for the week. Um, 
you know, probably drank half of it that night. Uh, the next day I go to work, come home. Um, and I, you know, I'm like, Oh, you know, I'll have some wine tonight. And I opened a bottle of wine and I started drinking the wine. And, and once I opened a bottle of wine, then I finished a bottle of wine. And then I was like, okay, I, that was, so, that was so that I didn't touch the whiskey. Well, then I touched the whiskey and I finished the rest of that bottle on Tuesday. So two nights, bottle of whiskey, bottle of wine. And I just kind of, uh, I kind of sat there and as I was drinking that last glass, I kind of was like, I broke down and, and was like, this, I can't keep doing this. I, I just can't. Um, and, and let me back up, I guess. Um, it, it's, it was a couple months. So, you know, I started drinking in college and I didn't really drink before that. And it was, it was very much, you know, I was in a fraternity, I played football for two years and, and that was very much the culture and all that. After college, I, I started at a, culture, yeah. oh yeah. Um, and after college, I started at, at a big four accounting firm, which was very like deadline driven and then, you know, long hours and, and happy hours and weekend drinking and, and end of busy season drinking. And so it's kind of a similar culture almost. And, you know, get married at 24, kid at 27, change jobs at 27. So it was a little less stress, a little less drinking. Um, and then in my thirties, like, you know, more responsibilities at work came in and, you know, my drinking increased a little bit here and there. And, you know, I was still drink, I was still binge drinking on the weekends and all that, but I, I never really drank at home as that much. Well, that changed in my thirties. Um, and I, uh, I'd say in 2015, I had a big project at work where I, uh, I, I started, uh, I was kind of spearheading it with my boss and, um, that really, I basically worked all year. Um, that, that's what I feel like now. Like I just 24 seven, just working all the time is very important. Um, and then that turned into 2016, more projects, 17, 18, and it, it kind of just each year just kept, you know, my weight started increasing, my uh, drinking definitely increased uh, dramatically and um, got into 2018. And um, I just I just realized the other day that it was actually my job who required us to get uh, like biometric screenings, like blood work done for insurance purposes. Um, and that was the reason I got blood work done, which is the reason my doctor is like, oh, let, you know, let's test, you know, your liver enzymes are a little high, nothing crazy. Um, let's get you, you know, ultrasound. And, you know, so I was diagnosed with fatty liver, um, cholesterol was high, blood pressure was high, everything. And that's kind of when, you know, I, that year too, I was kind of a little bit, uh, um, probably getting depressed. You know, I've never been diagnosed with that, but I, I definitely think I was at that point. Um, and then it was like, okay, I need to change. So what do I do? Um, and I, I tried little things here and there, um, tried to do a sober month, made it four days, tried to, you know, cut back this week and just drank and, you know, all those little things where you, you, you do, almost half-heartedly or just, I, ha I, sh I have to do this. I should do this. So let's do it. And, and that don't actually work. Right. Um, yeah. You, cause you don't actually want to, right. Like you feel like you no. should, but, but you're not committed to it. So, yeah. um, I was the same way. Like every time I tried to do like a sober October or a dry January, I would make it to the first weekend and then, that was it. It was, it was off the rails. And then after you had that first failure, it's like, okay, well, like I've already yeah. let myself down. So might as yeah. well keep going. But the rest of the month, I mean, it's not a sober October if you drink. So why even bother at yeah. this point? Um, which is why, like, anytime I post something about it on like Instagram or share something about it, I'm like, I'm focused on like, just because you slip once, just keep going, pick it back up, keep going. <laughs> now, I don't know if I would have listened to those words back then, but uh, if someone does, great. Um, Hindsight but, gives you the opportunity to yeah. to share that with people. But I knew towards the end of 2018, I knew something. I knew I had to do something. I didn't know what. Um, all I knew was, you know, AA, right? And I knew from looking into that, I never actually went. I knew looking into that, that wasn't really going to be a good fit for me. Um, 
I didn't kind of align with the higher power or the powerlessness. I knew I was I, looking back on it. I know I was powerless. I knew I was powerless to stop. Um, but like forever, no, like, I'm like, no, I mean, that's doesn't jive with me. Um, so there, there was just things there I didn't latch on to. Um, so, but I started, you know, I was trying to, re- I was listening to audiobooks and trying to, uh, uh, figure out what to do. So I listened to Russell Brand's, uh, I just mentioned this the other day, I listened to Russell Brand's recovery. Um, Fantastic. and yeah, it is. And, and I was like, okay, this, it was like my last ditch effort, like for AA, like, okay, I like him. I can get behind his stuff. If he can like frame this up for me and, and just tell me like, oh, I can think of it like that. That works. It didn't work. But what it did was it, it gave me the one thing that kept repeating in my brain. It's, are you on your own going to unfuck yourself? And and as soon as he, as soon as he said that, it like hit me like a brick in the head. Um, and I knew I wasn't and, but I didn't know what to do. And then, you know, so that was in January. And then that night on Tuesday, I, I just, you know, I kind of got to that point where I was just like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. Um, and one of the other things I was looking into was like counseling therapy type stuff. So I drunkenly signed up that night and just felt like a weight was lifted immediately. Like, okay, I'm at least doing something, anything different. And so that it took me even, uh, four days, I think to tell my wife, um, cause you know, I don't, I don't share things. I'm not, I was always the one that pushed everything down. Um, I was always fine. I I didn't feel feel like if I shared something, then that was, you know, uh, I I wasn't a man. Like I wasn't taking care of my business and I'm not supposed to share my feelings. I'm just supposed to suck it up and deal. Um, And And then when you needed that outlet, that was probably when you turned turned to the bottle, like just to manage those feelings, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what I learned in, in, in making this change is every emotion, my hand twitched for a glass. Like if I was sad, go have some alcohol, go have a bourbon. If I was angry immediately to that, if I was, you know, happy, you know, good times, let's say, let's celebrate. Um, that definitely, uh, was a kind of an epiphany that I didn't realize that every single thing I used alcohol to kind of cover up or, or enhance. Um, yeah, at least I thought so. Obviously it didn't. Um, but yeah, I was actually sitting right in this spot and I told my wife like, Hey, you know, what would you think if I, and I think this is high phrase it. I'm like, well, what would you say if I, you know, talk to a therapist? Like it was going to be a bad thing. And she was, you know, she was obviously supportive. Like anything you can do, anything you want to do for your mental health is fine by me. And, um, and yeah, that's, that was an, another weight off, like just talking about something for once. Um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how this whole thing got started. So yeah, like I always say, like, you know, I, I if I, drink tomorrow, like, okay, that changes the last time I drank that date. But January 22nd of 2019, I think forever changed me. Um, and that will always be the most important date for me. Um, so I don't know. I love that, man. And like, yeah, just like, I could see the significance of that date and you, um, you know, I think as when when we are in active addiction, we have this tendency to um, just lose trust in ourselves. Like we just keep keep letting ourselves down and breaking our word to ourselves. So being able to like take that step and actually uh, keep keep a promise to yourself and like take take a step to break whatever you're going through is huge. Uh, and I can't understate the significance of that enough to any of our listeners. Like if if that's what you're going through, like reach, reaching out to someone, uh, even, even if you're still drinking, even if you're struggling, taking that step to share what you are going through with another human being, uh, who can potentially understand you is, is a 
big first step to, to achieving your goals. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and do, I mean, if you ever had to, if you ever had to thought like, Oh, maybe I should talk to that person, talk to that person, just do it. Like, don't, don't wait. If you're listening to this and you have someone to talk to, go message them right now. Like that's, it's so important to, to do that. Cause uh, as guys, you know, a lot of times we just get so stuck in our heads. Um, because that's just how we were raised or that's how, how we've been taught. Yeah. yeah condition. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's just do it. <laughs> Love that. So sober for two years, how has sobriety changed your life? What changes have you seen in yourself and the people around you since you stopped drinking? Um, in myself, I mean, I'd say, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to think back and, or see pictures of myself or to, um, you know, just think about how I used to, um, just, just drink all night long and pass out on the couch and wake up the next morning and drink a ton of coffee and go to work. Like, I mean, like, how did I do that? Um, the biggest change is, is probably my head. Um, like I'm just, just the mental clarity that comes from not having alcohol in your system and in your brain is, has been like one of the biggest things for me. Um, yeah. Cause when I, yeah, I, I lost a bunch of weight. I lost like 30 pounds or whatever. Um, I lost 40 pounds. I gained some back. I lost some again. So it doesn't matter, but like, I didn't do that initially, like in the beginning, like all I was focused on was just don't drink. And I did, I kind of went against my normal, um, tendencies to jump all into something and be gung ho and have big goals. I'm never going to drink again. And, and actually when I started, I, I had huge issues in my head with the forever word or how long I was always asking my therapist. I was always like, okay, but how long till I can drink normally? Like that was always my thought. Like even in the beginning, I didn't know I was always trying to get back to the bottle and just, you know, I can do this normally again. I just need some, I just need a break. Um, so it's a lot of, I don't know, soul searching, I guess, to try and just figure out and muscle through those thoughts. Um, but I, I guess in doing that, you know, you kind of, obviously she's not telling me what to do. She's guiding me and like, well, what do you think about this? And so pulling, yeah. just pulling this information out and then sometimes pushing me down the way I should go. But, but, you know, just, it, it was a, it was a process to get at least even a little bit of, okay, maybe I won't drink for a year and, and actually mean it that time and actually feel like, okay, um, maybe that's something I can do. But I, I, but in order to get there, I had to, I didn't drink for 60 days in the beginning and then I drank and then I didn't drink for two days and then I drank, and, you know, I had to like, I had to go through those, those slips and, um, and stumbles and just figure it out for myself in order to even get to the point on April 29th, when I woke up hungover, um, after vacation and like, all right, I'm going to start again. And, but I, I've been, uh, you're, you're learning the whole time as you do it. Like not, none of those 60 days or the two days or any of that stuff, like that, that all like got me to the point where I was like, okay, I know what to do. I know how to get to 60 days. So my goal was like to get to 61 days. Um, and I tried to break it up into chunks, but my, my whole thing. So I think getting back to your point, what was the biggest change is, um, <laughs> I'm trying to circle back and I got off on a tangent there, but, uh, <laughs> um, like don't do too much. Don't do too much too fast. And, and I went against my, uh, my normal, uh, patterns and just by simplifying it, doing the one day at a time thing changed me 
because it, it brought me into the moment. It, it made me more calm. It made me, you know, a better husband, a better father, um, because I was able to, um, now there's still times when I was triggered and had cravings and all that stuff that, you know, I wasn't in a good mood and all that, but overall, um, it, it taught me how to control my emotions, but also share my emotions versus controlling my emotions before with alcohol. Just drowning them. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah. That was, I think that that, was that's been the biggest control. change for me. Yeah. Very cool. I loved your point about um, tr almost treating uh, relapses or, or stumbles as just part of the sober journey, right? Like as long as you're approaching them, like this is an opportunity to learn something about myself. This is an opportunity to learn my triggers. Or I think it's almost a tendency of a lot of people with um, with alcohol or substance use disorder to to have that that belief when they first go into it and say, okay, I am going to learn how to control this. I'm going to learn moderation versus I'm going to give this up forever. Um, so it can be really terrifying to, to kind of out of the gate be like, I, for me, it was different because I had like a very traumatic rock bottom and and mine was like right out of the gate i was like i can never drink again like that was what okay. got me through um but i i get for for a lot of people like looking at it through that forever lens like that's that's a big commitment you don't have to worry about the big picture you just worry about like not having that one drink or making it through that one day and you can do that yeah for sure and and that's the other thing too like i I, I didn't have that rock bottom. So I, 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 I always say that I would definitely rock, advise bottom, against it. Yeah. And, and my point too, to a lot of people is the rock bottom is relative. Like rock bottom is uh, where you stop digging and you know, it's cliche. Like you, you're going to stop digging maybe sooner than I am or later than I am. Um, but you know, sometimes things just happen. Like I was lucky that, you know, there's plenty of times when I shouldn't have drove. Um, and there's plenty of times when there could have been, you know, negative consequences to my actions. Um, and I was just lucky that I didn't have a lot of them. Um, it, it got to the point where I just drank enough that my health started, <laughs> uh, you know, being the negative consequence that kind of pushed me at least in the beginning. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's tough. How has your sobriety progressed from from just not drinking, which is obviously that's going to be the focus for most people in the early days, um, to it's like, okay, now I'm not drinking and I feel like I have that under control. When, how did you start, decide to start doing the next step, which is um, just wor working on yourself, working on Kevin? Um, I, 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 it took me months to kind of, get past that first point of just not drinking. Um, you know, I, I was like, as long as I don't drink, I don't care how much I eat. I don't care if I don't work out. I don't care about any of those other things that, you know, maybe I should care about, but if I don't drink, that's all, that's my focus. That's my number one goal. And that's like the, the one thing that uh, I can hang my hat on. Um, because I knew, I knew from the way I am, if I worried about not drinking, I like to throw on, well, you know what, let's just look, we're not drinking. So let's eat well too. Um, and then, then I start restricting stuff and then I start getting, you know, hangry or whatever. And then I'm going to start working out too. And, and it, I knew that it would snowball into, okay, let's just have a drink tonight. Um, so that was like, it was probably, you know, so January, um, probably not until September, um, of that year that I even think about like, okay, now I'm going to, uh, maybe focus on what I eat, maybe, maybe try and clean up my nutrition a little bit, uh, some weight. And, and I did, and then I spent a couple months on that. So I was not drinking and I was, um, you know, focusing on that. That's not, you know, I'm not, I wasn't perfect. I'm never going to be, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to be, 
It's good um, that you can admit that. Yeah, I, I mean, I love pizza too much. Uh, I have some waiting downstairs for me uh, <laughs> after this. Um, and, uh, you know, so after that, it was like, okay, well, maybe I can start working out now, a couple months later. And, you know, so it just kind of... I not drinking being alcohol free was like the base that I built my current life on, I guess. Um, and that, you know, everything that came after it, you know, then, then meditating and, uh, journaling was big for me always from the start because, uh, whenever I did, uh, therapy, I used like an online therapy uh, service and, uh, they have like a messaging feature in there. So I could just message my counselor at any point in time. Um, and it's not like she's going to answer right away. She'll answer during her hours. Um, but that's what really got me into just, you know, I have a thought and I, I need to get this out and I just would, you know, type it out and send it to her. Um, and a lot of times too, uh, I've told people this before too, like I would be sitting on the couch send it to her. And I'd be like, you know what? I should probably share that with my wife. So I would copy and paste it into a text and send it to her. I'd be like, read that. And she'd read it. And then we'd talk about it. And like, but it was so much easier for me as a guy to get it out of my head and kind of whatever way, you know, I thought about it and, and kind of edited a little bit and stuff and like, okay, yeah, that's, that's it. And send it to her versus like talking about it. Talking about like, it. Yeah. Yeah, I had that stumbling block that, you know, so find a workaround for it. Well, there was a, that was my workaround. Um, but so, yeah, journaling, I recommend for everybody, but uh, that's been so big for me. Um, it's changed too over the two years um, from that, so something personal and something between me and my therapist, something between me and my wife, to um, now I start typing in my journal and I'm like, oh, this would make a good post for to share with people. And I just share it on Instagram. I was going to say so to you, my uh, journal. Uh, a lot of your Instagram posts do seem like almost like long form. Like I, I really yeah. love it. Like your pages, your posts are always like really vulnerable, really insightful, but they definitely seem like the basis of maybe a journal entry to yourself. And then you just take the additional step of sharing it with the world. So it's really interesting to see that you were a guy who initially couldn't talk about his feelings at all. And now you have this public audience that you are really like sharing your thoughts and vulnerabilities and moments with all the time. How do you get from point A, which is Kevin who has to drink to suppress his emotions to point B, which is the sober ginger? Um, I mean, just a lot of getting uncomfortable really um, and putting myself out there, but it's just, I guess the best uh, answer is baby steps. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 started that my account in August. So I was, you know, about three or four months sober. And it, I started it because my, uh, I had, I was triggered by a picture from my other Instagram page, my old Instagram page that popped up with, you know, one year ago today, uh, you were having this beer. Um, and so Facebook I, I memories like, are such a landmine. Like they're, yeah. uh, they got it smash that feature <laughs> just get rid yeah, of it exactly so really the whole reason you and i are talking today is because my therapist said well why don't you start posting better pictures so you have better memories so then i was like hmm. i'm like okay well so i started my account and i kept it private and all i did i didn't even share i didn't even share it uh i was private i didn't follow anybody nobody followed me i was just like i just want pictures in there and I posted like my day count. I posted a, a picture I took that day, anything. And then something else I found on Instagram or anywhere where I was just like, I like this, it's funny or whatever. And that was it every day. It was like, cause I, I was all about, uh, you know, check routine and checking things off the list. Like this morning I, I wake up, I, I check my day count. I play this one game, the daily challenge. And I go on Instagram and I post uh, my three pictures at the end of the day. And that was it. And I just, it took three months before I was even, I talked to my wife and I was like, do you even know I have another account? And she's like, no. So I, she was my first follower. <laughs> and, uh, and then I, you know, then I, then I started following people, but I was still private. And then I started, uh, eventually like I made it public. Um, 
but each step along the way, it was just awkward and weird. And, but, you know, just get out of that comfort zone and, you know, in your own time, I mean, you don't have to go too hard, too fast or anything like that. Um, a big thing for me, was, uh, last February, I, I think it was February. I, I started following like family and neighbors and friends and, uh, on that like account. People so you like, knew yeah. In real life. Right. Yeah. So like my brothers would follow me and, and some family and maybe a friend or two, but it's like, I, I, I just followed like everybody I knew that was on Instagram. I followed them. And it was, then I was like, I, I just kind of waited <laughs> for the bomb to drop. And then it was like nothing crickets and people followed me back, but nobody said a word, but for me, it was like huge because I was putting myself out there to people I knew versus just being in, you know, the so sober ginger on Instagram that didn't really mean much, but I was sharing things. I had friends on there, but it wasn't real, I guess, at that point. So that was a huge step for me. Um, and then, you know, come March, uh, I saw somebody, I think Adam on, uh, Adam Danielson on Instagram posted, like they were looking for hosts for a thousand hours dry. So I followed them. I really liked what they were doing and I reached out and I was like, what's that entail? And next thing I know, I started hosting on there and yeah, that's kind of that, that, and so that really pushed me out of my shell because, you know, then I was, I don't know. It felt like more pressure that I was doing it for other people versus just doing it for me. And, um, but moral of the story is every step of the way, it just, you know, just get a little bit more uncomfortable and just do it anyway. Um, have that, you know, growth kind of mindset where you're going to reach out and you're going to push yourself a little bit to just do better. Um, and, and whatever that means for you, I mean, you don't have to, you don't have to, share on Instagram or anything like that. You, you can, you know, just, you just want to journal more. Uh, you just want to do, do things for yourself and your family or whoever, uh, you know, whatever that means to you. Or even just like, yeah, find that one friend that you can approach and have that initial conversation with, or I think a lot of it is getting over. And this is something we've had come up on multiple episodes of this podcast, particularly as men, we are taught from a very young age. And I don't know if this is like, if there's a lot of societal pressure, or if it's just something we we absorb and teach ourselves, but like, like, vulnerability will kill you vulnerability. If you are vulnerable with people, if you share your inner world, it could end your life, like you'll be a social yep. pariah, or you'll just be cast out forever, or people will think you're dumb or weak. And then you do it for the first time. And, and like you said, like when you started putting it out there, it was crickets. Like no, a lot of the time you'll be met with support. A lot of the time you'll be met with no reaction at all. And I think it's just getting over that initial fear. And like you said, like accepting that it's going to be uncomfortable and just leaning into that is huge. Yeah. And you never know. And that's one of the things that kept me going was doing it was, you know, like you never know who you're going to help. Like I, I felt like I was in a good place myself. So if I could share what I went through or what I was going through at that point in time and somebody else, like, you know, uh, it was always funny that like I would post something, I was like nervous about it or nervous about sharing it because it was so, you know, vulnerable or, uh, just so just unlike anything I've ever put out there. And when I do, you know, then you're like, okay, how are people going to react and all that? And then, then you get something like, like, oh, thank you. I needed to hear this today. Or, and you realize that you're not alone. Like a lot of people feel like this, like, and, and that, that kind of, you know, so if one person said that to me, I was like, okay, it was worth posting and all that. But uh, realizing that we aren't alone is huge because I always thought that I, well, I didn't think we were alone. I thought we were all like this and we just all had to be like this as, as men, like, you know, you all had, you have to, you know, act this way or be this way. And obviously that's not true. I mean, everybody's different, but for me, that was the pressure on me to, whether it was self-induced or learned growing up or, you know, just see it in the movies. That was how, um, I thought I was supposed to be and, and opening up and being vulnerable 
is just so much better. <laughs> it does. And it almost gives you, um, cause you, you can either be part of that camp and have that common thread with men who need to drown their emotions in a bottle and keep everything to themselves, or you can get real and start sharing your experience. And it doesn't have to be with a public audience. It can be with like one person. Um, but that's when you really start connecting and realizing like, okay, I'm, I'm not denying the real me anymore. And there are a lot of people out there with like, with those shared experiences and they can relate to me. And I think that's a lot of the strength in when you said I never went to AA either. I was like, I went to two meetings when I first sobered up and then same thing. Like I have a lot of like spiritual brain damage from growing up Catholic. So I was just like, not my jam. I can't do this. But the power in that is, is getting in those rooms and seeing that, there, there are so many people just like you who have, who yeah. have been through what you have been through and who can understand what you have been through. Yeah, definitely. And I, I, I feel like that would have, that something I missed not going to AA, that community, um, initially. Um, but I'm always like, you know, I, I'm kind of like, like to do things on my own. Um, which could be part of the problem, obviously, but, you know, like, but, but having like a therapist or a counselor, you know, that helped me in the beginning. And now I feel like I'm a, you know, more of a part of this community online. And now with the pandemic, now there's all kinds of options. I joined TLC, the luckiest club, you know, I, I pop in a meeting there every once in a while, which I think is very similar to AA, just without the dogma type of thing. And, you know, I, I like to pop into there because it just, I don't know, gives me, I don't know, sense of comfort, you know, just or talking belong. to everybody. Right. Yeah. yeah, belonging, yeah. Big um, shout out to the Luckiest Club. Check them out if you're, you're listening and you haven't. They did not pay us for this promotion, but I did a share at one of their meetings a month ago, I want to say, and it was one of the best experiences of my entire life. Like just yeah. uh, the outpouring of like love and support from people was life-changing for me, so check them out. Yeah, that was my first real share um, was in July, I shared on there. And that was yeah, that was huge, because I've never done that before. I, I did like one or two little lives, uh, or one live on Instagram before that. But that was really when I put myself out there, and talking to people about what I was doing. And, and obviously, I was talking to a whole, I was talking to the choir there. I was there's a lot of people that like-minded people in that uh, meeting, but, but yeah, that was, that was a, a great experience. Um, which, you know, if you're in AA, you, you do those shares, right? So it's, it's very similar. Um, but yeah, that's a great community. For sure. So you've continued growing as a person throughout the the past few years, obviously you're motivated to do that. You posted something to your Instagram the other day about, it was a post I loved. It was about the importance of little things. And you talked a little bit about this as part of your sober story as well. But I think, I don't know if it's just me and I'm projecting to everyone, but uh, especially since I got sober, I have this tendency to like find these big, stupid, audacious goals and be like, okay, I'm going to read a hundred self-help books this year and I'm going to meditate every single day and I'm going to... And it's, I almost inevitably fail at them, but I would like to know, you posted something about the importance of just like finding those little wins, those little goals, those little habits that, that can actually turn into these big game changers for you. What's are what are some of the little things that, that contribute to the best version of Kevin? Um, well, now it's, uh, this month I'm closing my rings on my watch exercising, um, getting back into that. But that was kind of, uh, I, yeah, same thing. I had, uh, I, I posted a big stack of books in the end of December about, you know, I was, I was going to make an audacious goal and I was just like, these are what I want to read this year. Uh, but, uh, and that's going, I'm still reading the first two, like, well, and that's the problem too. I, I get, I get distracted. Like I have, I have one that I read in the morning, one that I read at night, to an audio book that I listen to. So it's, um, it's not the best method. I don't recommend it, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, uh, shout out to the little things too. the movie on HBO with uh, Denzel. That's a excellent movie. That's where I got that idea um, or that thought. Um, 
because of something he said on there. And that, that is, uh, it, it's just, it doesn't, you don't have to do big things to make big changes. You just have to do little things consistently, um, is what I think. And, and whatever those little things are, I mean, it can be different at different times in your life. You know, like I was planning on working out all through January and then I threw my back out. So then what do you do? My old me would have said, screw it. And, and just not done anything. And well, I was going to work out this month, like focus on it. And now I can't do that. So I'm just not going to do anything. So instead I just like, okay, well, what was I going to do in February? I kind of set goals for the first three months. I wasn't going much farther than that. Um, and so I'm like, okay, well I'll meditate instead. That'll be my focus. So that'll be the one little thing I can do. Um, but yeah, just being uh, flexible and don't, I mean, it's just the same thing with everything. If, if you're, if you're drinking and you have a slip, get back up and keep going. If you're, if your back goes out, what else can you do? If you're, you know, if you, whatever it is, like that's kind of been my focus um, to not be so hard on myself. Um, because, you know, getting up and, and walking. So right now, like I'm taking, I'm pulling it all the way back to basics and just walking because my back's bad. I'm old, old, my old back. And I'm like, just walk, work on, work on your back by walking, doing inclines, all this stuff. Like that's what I'm going to do now <laughs> and start there before you got to walk before you can run. Um, literally. And, you know, it's just, just things like that, like that, that's, um, I'm giving specific examples there, but, uh, um, journaling every day helps me. Um, I, um, read every day. That's big. Uh, even if it's just, you know, even if it's just like, if I get distracted in the morning, even if it's just like two or three pages, I'm like, I just need to sit down with my coffee and start my day, like with a little bit of intention because, I never did that before. I would start my day at the last possible second to get as much quote unquote sleep as possible, even though it wasn't really great sleep. And then, you know, chug coffee, get showered, go to work. Like, so I cherish like my mornings now because it's so different than what it used to be. Um, but yeah, just finding just some routine. It doesn't even have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be this grand thing. Like I'm going to run a marathon or I'm going to meditate for an hour every day, like meditate for a minute, write some stuff down in your journal, make up your tasks for the day and then move on. Those are all kind of things I try and uh, work in on a daily basis. I give Love a bunch that. of stuff. Have you read, uh, <laughs> you did do, do them all everyone. Yeah. Uh, have you read atomic habits by, uh, by James? Yes. Clear? Love it. So yep. that was, that was a game changer well, for me. Just like, just focus on doing like the little things, just a little bit better. You don't have to set one, out to, to change the world. 1% better every day. Just, yeah, just focus on getting 1% better. Yeah. Kevin, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. I sincerely appreciate you sharing your story, not just with us, but like in what you're doing. But it's always really inspiring to see men just willing to like own their shit and share their shit and get open and real and vulnerable with other people. And I think that's setting such an important example for uh, a lot of other dudes who might not be so willing or ready to do that and just seeing that yeah you can be a, a generally well-liked and accepted person uh being completely open and honest one last question how has your idea of what it means to be a man changed from now to between back then like men kept everything to themselves and just like worked really hard and suffered through it uh, if you could go, go back in a time machine and tell the younger version of you what it would mean to be a man now what would you say um, what it means to be a man now. Um, I would tell him to a, don't kill yourself at work. <laughs> you have nothing to prove. Uh, and be probably just open up to anybody, any, you know, 
don't keep things in, you know, it, it is no show of strength to, um, to kind of take on try and take on everything yourself. Uh, we can't, we, none of us can do anything alone really. And that would probably be my <laughs> overriding message is open up, talk, talk about your feelings, talk about your emotions, fucking cry. I mean, whatever it, it just don't be a robot and don't try and bury it all down because none of that helps. Yeah. And those emotions do usually end up surfacing one way or another, whether it be yeah. through addiction or you have, you know, a massive heart attack or yeah. any number of health problems. So, yep, exactly. I had all of that and then I was heading towards the heart attack. <laughs> Yeah, you managed to head that off at the pass, luckily. If people want to learn more about you or uh, follow you online, where can they do that? I'm on Instagram at, at the Sober Ginger. I also have a blog, but I don't post too much on there. It's the same thing, thesoberginger.com. Um, I am a co-host on the Thousand Hours Dry uh, page as well as Thousand Hours Dry Stag. Um, and I'm also a Reframe app ambassador. Um, which is a great tool to use. Very cool. All right, everyone. Thanks for tuning in for this episode of Robriety. And Kevin, thanks again for taking the time to join us. Thanks a lot, Derek. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Bobriety. Reminder to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if there's a guest you'd like to hear from, email us at bobriety.podcast at gmail.com or message us at van underscore sober on Instagram. We'll see you next time.